History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 426th episode of the History Goes Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. Kelly, on this episode, we are doing a location that was suggested by our listener, David Young, and that's Fort Omaha in Omaha, Nebraska. I guess that's where it got that cool name. <laughs> Not surprising. This is such a great city. I would have never thought anything of Omaha, especially because it's in Nebraska. And living in Colorado, I just thought it was a bunch of cornfields. But Omaha is amazing. There's (laughs) so much haunted stuff around this place. I'm like biting at the bit to go back to it. Plus, it has my favorite restaurant in the world, the Monster Club. Yes, and as am I. And I also want to get back to the Squirrel Cage Jail. Yeah, and they're all right there. Before we get into that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Rolf, Amanda, Courtney, Ivani, and Xander. Welcome to the crew, everybody. And now, this moment, Noddity. There's a legend connected to Fort Independence in Boston that Edgar Allan Poe may have used for inspiration. It seems that in 1905, some workmen were doing repairs at Fort Independence on Castle Island in Boston Harbor in the former dungeon area. When they knocked down the brick wall, they discovered a skeleton chained to the wall, wearing tatters of what looked like a military uniform. This apparently was a man known as Lieutenant Guttifus Drain. In 1817, a young lieutenant named Robert Massey arrived at the fort. He got along with everyone except this Lieutenant Drain. One day, the two men were playing cards, and after Lieutenant Massey laid down a winning hand, Lieutenant Drain jumped up and slapped him across the face, accusing him of cheating. He demanded satisfaction and suggested a sword duel. Lieutenant Massey was not matched for experienced Lieutenant Drain, but he wanted to save face and agreed. He was quickly run through and buried outside the walls of the fort. Macy's fellow officers decided to seek revenge and grabbed Lieutenant Drain and walled him up alive down in an unused area of the fort. Military officials assumed Lieutenant Drain had gone AWOL. Ten years later, an 18-year-old Private Perry, Poe's fake name, was sent to Fort Independence where he found Macy's grave and asked about it. He was told the story and it inspired the cask of Amontillado. Finding a skeleton walled up in a dungeon and learning it inspired a famous piece of literature certainly is odd. Hello, this is Victoria from victoriaslift.com. When I'm not taking those who must choose their destiny for a ride on the lift, I'm listening to History Goes Bump podcast. History isn't boring, it's terrifying. The past remains with us, and so do its spirits. Can you hear them calling? They want you to know their stories. Listen now to their voices and the truth from the past. 
And now, This Month in History. In the month of March, on the 7th, in 1777, John and Abigail Adams exchanged five letters. Abigail was home on the couple's farm in Braintree, Massachusetts, and John was a member of the Continental Congress that had gathered in Philadelphia. The Adams' relationship was on display in these letters, which revealed they had a mutual adoration of each other, and that they enjoyed speaking of intellectual topics. The letters also revealed that John wasn't a fan of Philly or Quakers. He wrote, This city, Philly, is a dull place, in comparison of what it was. More than one half the inhabitants have removed to the country, as it was their wisdom to do. The remainder are chiefly Quakers, as dull as beetles. From these, neither good is to be expected, nor evil to be apprehended. They are a kind of neutral tribe, or the race of the insipids. Abigail's letters bemoaned the lack of patriotic fervor in New Englanders, and she wrote that she looked forward to more letters from her beloved husband to his devoted Portia, which was his pet name for her. In total, the Adamses wrote 1,160 letters to each other. And on that same date in 1969, Anne and Dave's student married each other. Happy anniversary to my folks. Happy anniversary. Metropolitan Community College in Omaha, Nebraska has a campus filled with historic buildings because this was once Fort Omaha. This fort's main purpose was to serve troops logistically during the Indian War era and is connected to the landmark Standing Bear v. Crook case in 1879 in which Native Americans were legally determined as persons under the law. This location also was a place that conducted experiments with dirigibles at the Balloon School. There are multiple ghost stories from Fort Omaha as well. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of Fort Omaha. relations between the United States government and Native American tribes has never been good. The West became an area of more confrontation between indigenous tribes and the military after the Civil War. One of these skirmishes took place between the Lakota tribe of the Sioux and the U.S. Army, and the result was that the U.S. government signed a treaty that the Army would abandon posts along the Bozeman Trail. And for those that don't know, the Bozeman Trail was an overland route that connected southern Montana to the Oregon Trail in eastern Wyoming. General William Tecumseh Sherman decided that there was a need for something to replace those abandoned posts in the West to help supply the military and stop any uprisings with Native American tribes. Omaha was a newer city, but steadily growing as the Union Pacific Railroad reached the Rockies. The city really wanted to be the spot that a military installation would be built, and North Omaha was chosen. Augustus Counts, Emerson Seymour, and Charles Wells owned plots of land in the area, and this was bought by 79 local investors who then leased the land to the government for the fort. The fort covered nearly 83 acres. The Sherman Barracks was established in 1868 by Captain William Sinclair. He was the one who decided on the name, but General Sherman said he didn't want his name on a small installation. Can you imagine? 
<laughs> the ego. Well, that place is just too small. You can't put my name on that one. <laughs> so in 1869, the name was changed to Omaha Barracks. In 1878, the Omaha Barracks would become Fort Omaha. Originally, the barracks were made on the cheap with just wood frame structures. 650 men from Battery C of the 3rd U.S. Artillery from Fort Kearney, Nebraska, lived in the barracks and marched on the 30-acre parade ground. Other than the barracks, there was also a post headquarters, bakery, guardhouse, storehouses, and sutler's store. In 1870, the War Department authorized 14 permanent posts under Fort Omaha. The main job of the fort was to serve as a departmental headquarters for the Department of the Platte, which included present-day Iowa, Nebraska, Wyoming, Utah, and portions of Montana and southern Idaho. The headquarters would remain here from 1878 to 1881. This was a supply post, and troops were sent out on coordinated campaigns against Native American tribes in the area that included the Ute, Northern Cheyenne, Sioux, and Nez Perce. Kelly, do you know what a settler store is? I do not. Well, of course, I didn't know either. I always have to look these things up because I'm like, that's a term I don't really know. It's described as a combination of saloon keeper and general store operator. So usually settlers supplied troops with goods and food to supplement army rations. Nice. Now, this would be a place where they could get coffee, flour, liquor, tobacco, crockery, wool socks, and toothbrushes. All very important. <laughs> Except for the tobacco. Well, it was probably And I'm not into coffee them. either. What am I saying? <laughs> you can get just about anything there. The first brick structure was built in 1879 for General George Crook. He was the commander of the Department of the Platte from 1875 to 1882. He initially lived off post, but in 1878, the Army started requiring department commanders and officers to live on the post. The two-story house was built in the Italianate architectural style. It was crowned with a hipped roof, and the east facade had a long porch. General Crook and his wife moved in, and they entertained dignitaries regularly. General Ulysses S. Grant and his wife visited, and so did President Rutherford B. Hayes. The house served as a home for commanders until 1905, when it became an officer's club and mess hall. In 1930, it became a home once again until the fort closed in 1973. This is the oldest private residence still standing in Omaha and was placed on the Register of Historic Places in 1969. In the 1980s, the house was refurbished by the Douglas County Historical Society and opened as a museum. They also restored the Victorian Heirloom Garden, where there are 110 varieties of heirloom flowers, trees, and shrubs that are native to Nebraska. Kelly, some of them date back to the 1880s when they were brought here via wagon trains. Wow. That would be very cool to see. Yeah, absolutely. And we have a hard time keeping our trees in the backyard alive for more than a couple of years when we get a frost. Well, yeah, the, the frost definitely did some work. The museum is full of Victorian antiques as well. General Crook's headquarters was also built in 1879. This was a two-story building made from brick. He only used it for a couple of years before moving the headquarters to downtown Omaha to be near the Union Pacific Terminal. The building was transformed into a hospital until the post was abandoned in 1896. There was another hospital on the fort that was declared uninhabitable in 1879 by the post surgeon because conditions were very poor, with only wood-burning stoves for warmth and no bathrooms. So the transformed headquarters served that purpose until a new hospital was built in 1906 by the Army Signal Corps. Later, the hospital served as a recruiting center during both world wars. General Crook was part of an important case known as Standing Bear versus Crook. 
Chief Standing Bear, otherwise known as Machu Nuze, was the leader of a band of about 82 Ponca people who lived near the Niobrara River. This was land being eyed by white settlers, so there was a real push to get the Poncas to move. In 1876, there was more than just trying to convince the tribe to move. The government told them they were being moved to Indian Territory, which was Oklahoma. The Ponca saw the new land and refused to take it, so they went back home. So then, the government issued an order on April 12, 1877, to force their removal. Federal troops were called in to enforce the removal orders. The journey back to the Indian Territory was grueling, and nine people died along the way. After arriving, another 160 Ponca died, and this number included Standing Bear's only son, Bear Shield. His son had told his father that he wanted to be buried in the ancestral homeland. When the government heard that the Ponca had returned, General George Crook was ordered to arrest them. But General Crook liked the tribe. He did bring the Ponca to Fort Omaha. But then he contacted newspaper man Thomas Tibbles, who was the assistant editor of the Omaha Daily Herald. He told Tibbles why Standing Bear returned and that he wanted to rally support for the man. Tibbles went to work making speeches at local churches, and he gained sympathy for Standing Bear. Then Tibbles hired John L. Webster and A.J. Poppleton to represent Standing Bear and the Poncas at a trial. The attorneys asked Judge Elmer Dundee to grant a writ of habeas corpus. This was the first time such a motion had been filed on behalf of a Native American, and Judge Dundee agreed. The trial opened in Omaha on April 30, 1879, and lasted two days. The U.S. government argued, quote, that Standing Bear was neither a citizen nor a person, so he could not sue the government. Standing Bear gave impassioned testimony, and General Crook spoke on his behalf. Standing Bear's lawyers argued that under the 14th Amendment, Standing Bear and his fellow Poncas were both citizens and people, and entitled to the same constitutional rights as other citizens of the United States, and Judge Dundee agreed, writing, quote, that an Indian is a person, and that's in all caps, within the meaning of the laws of the United States. Scholars have compared the case as having a similar civil rights impact as the Dred Scott decision and the Brown versus Board of Education. Standing Bear was able to bury his son after the trial near the Niobrara River. After years of governmental acts, Standing Bear was granted a parcel of land in the old Ponca territory. He lived on the parcel with his family and raised livestock and farmed. He died in 1908, and a memorial was built in his honor on the parade grounds. A statue was placed in the National Statuary Hall at the United States Capitol featuring Standing Bear in September of 2019. It features his quote, My hand is not the color of yours, but if I pierce it, I shall feel pain. If you pierce your hand, you also feel pain. I thought that was an interesting way to put it because we hear a lot of people, you know, if I cut my hand and you cut your hand, regardless of what color you are, or what race you are, we all bleed the same red blood. Exactly. So kind of the same effect. We both feel pain. In 1880, the troops would finally get indoor hot and cold water bathing facilities. There was one for officers and three for enlisted men. The Ordnance Magazine was built in 1883, and this was used for the storage of ammunition and weapons. The building was fairly small and topped with a tinned roof. The soldiers were trained to be excellent marksmen. The types of weapons used were Remington, Winchesters, and Springfield rifles, and nickel-plated Colt revolvers. Ten companies of the 2nd Infantry would be at Fort Omaha until 1896, and then they moved to Fort Crook near Bellevue. The Army Signal Corps made this their home in 1905, and they stayed until 1913. Fort Omaha's Officers Row was built in 1906. These homes were very basic and built on a budget with classic lines featuring several architectural styles like Georgian, Federal, and Greek Revival. There were many social events for the officers like band concerts, charity balls, and gatherings at fraternal lodges. 
Fort Omaha entered a period of balloon and aviation history in 1909 with the Observation Balloon Corps. A storage building for a dirigible was built. The first experiment they conducted involved inflating a dirigible with hydrogen gas and sending pilot Captain Charles Chandler and his passenger, Lieutenant Jay Ware, off to Iowa. They made it and landed safely before the balloon was lost to a fire from static discharge. That is terrifying. <laughs> Not only that, but it's like crud. You're like, look, we did it. This was amazing. Kaboom. Good <laughs> <laughs> grief. The Corps was moved to another location, but returned in 1916 and a balloon skull was set up. The balloon training was very demanding. Balloonists were going to use the balloons for spying and observation, and they had a code they sent via telephone line from the balloon's basket to an extensive switchboard system. 16,000 men trained in this field at Fort Omaha during World War I. The Kakwat was the best dirigible they had, and this was shaped like a sausage with fins. The balloon court stayed at Fort Omaha for four years. During the 1920s and 1930s, the fort was continuously occupied. After 1935, the fort was used as a residence post for officers on duty at the 7th Corps Area Headquarters. During World War II, it served as a support installation for the 7th Service Command. The Army decided the fort was surplus property in 1947, and they gave it to the Navy, who used it for a reserve training center. In 1973, the Defense Department decided they no longer wanted the property, so they deeded it to the Metropolitan Community College in August 1975. Army Reserve units still train there, and the college is not allowed to change the exterior of the buildings or the parade grounds. The Metropolitan Community College was created in 1974 after the Nebraska legislature consolidated eight technical community college areas into six. The Omaha-Nebraska Technical Community College area was merged with the Eastern Nebraska Technical Community College area and given the name Metropolitan Technical Community College area. That was a mouthful. <laughs> it's a nice sentence there. I know. I've never Good heard job, of... Good job, babe. I've never heard of college areas <laughs> before, so wow. In 1992, the legislature voted to change the name to Metropolitan Community College area shortened then to MCC. Much easier to pronounce. Yeah, I would rather say <laughs> MCC too. MCC is one of the fastest-growing post-secondary institutions in Nebraska, and three buildings were added to the campus. The Construction Education Center, the Center for Advanced and Emerging Technologies, and the Career and Academics Skills Center. In 2021, they opened the Automotive Training Center. The college has grown to become the second-largest post-secondary institute in Nebraska. There are several campuses all over Nebraska. Students have a variety of offerings for major fields of studies, and they have an opportunity to mingle with ghosts because a former Fort Omaha is said to be haunted. The school hosts haunted history tours. In 2022, they have one in April and one in May. So if you're in Omaha, maybe you can check out one of those haunted history tours. We really need more time for road trips. I know. <laughs> Turmoil feeds negative energies, and Omaha played host to a very bad scene in 1919. Lieutenant Colonel Jacob Wiest, commander of Fort Omaha at the time, had to send a company of troops to help the local police when a riot erupted. The summer of 1919 was a dangerous time in America, with riots rocking major cities across the country. It was nicknamed Red Summer. There were 25 large ones. The one in Omaha started when Agnes Lobeck, a white woman, reported that she had been assaulted by a black man. A packing house worker named Will Brown was apprehended by the police and brought to the Lobecks to be identified. Agnes claimed he was the assailant. 
Before the police could leave, a mob started forming outside the house. Reinforcements helped get Brown to the Douglas County Courthouse. Three days later, on September 28, 1919, a mob of around 10,000 people gathered outside the courthouse. When night fell, the looting began and the people started firing on the courthouse. Two men were killed by flying bullets. The mob then set the courthouse on fire. Will Brown told the sheriff who was trying to protect him, I'm innocent. I never did it. My God, I am innocent. Firefighters arrived and tried to extinguish the flames, but the mob pushed them back. The mayor came out to reason with the people and he was knocked out. When he came to, he found himself with the noose around his neck, with the other end flung up over a lamppost. He passed out again and woke up in the hospital, where he had been in a coma for several days. The mob managed to get inside the courthouse and dragged Brown outside. What happened to him is just too horrifying for us to share on this podcast. It's a sad testament to the inhumanity of humans. What we will share is what actor Henry Ford said of the scene. As a 14-year-old boy, he watched what happened from the second floor of his father's printing plant that was across the street from the courthouse. He said, It was the most horrendous sight I had ever seen. We locked the plant, went downstairs, and drove home in silence. My hands were wet and there were tears in my eyes. All I could think of was that young black man dangling at the end of a rope. The army from Fort Omaha was able to restore order and they patrolled the black community to make sure no more lynchings took place. No one was ever charged for what happened to Brown. He was buried in a potter's field there. And it wasn't until a few years ago, I think they were running a story on TV or something. And some guy across the country saw it and had heard that they did not have a headstone for Brown. So he actually paid to get a headstone for it. That's awesome. But this potter's field is a very neglected cemetery. The city, I think, mows it once a year. Good grief. And most of the headstones don't have any kind of marking on them. I think it's a pretty important piece of this Red Summer, which was basically a bunch of lynchings that went on across the country. It's terrible. And he was one of the most horrific ones. And the fact that this crowd was so angry and poised to do what they were going to do that they actually tried to hang their mayor. I mean, I, I can't even imagine, you know, he comes out and he's trying to calm everybody down and, you know, settle down. And the next thing he knows, he's knocked out. And when he comes to, he's got a noose around his neck and they're getting ready to hang him from a lamppost. So just horrible things that had happened here. Because of this, you had Fort Omaha sending in their troops. And as far as I know, they called martial law and they patrolled that city for quite a while until they could get everything calmed down, especially for the entire summer. And I thought with this kind of horrific thing that happened here, and I can't believe that Henry Ford saw this as a 14-year-old boy. I don't know what all he saw, but if he saw most of it, that would just completely change you for the rest of your life, I would think, what happened here. I thought, you know, the Douglas County Courthouse has got to have some hauntings there because it still stands today. That exact building, even though they set it on fire, this was built in 1912 in the French Renaissance Revival architectural style. The fire almost nearly destroyed it, but it didn't. And so it's still there. So I'm thinking, this place has got to be haunted. One would imagine. There's got to be something going on here. I could find nothing except for a sentence on a Reddit post that mentioned it as one of the haunted locations in Omaha. But when wow. I looked for it anywhere, I couldn't find any hauntings there. So if any of you in that area know anything about hauntings at the courthouse or you work there, we'd love to know more. Also, Brown was lynched across the street. This was at 18th and Harney Street. So I was trying to find any information I could find on any buildings that were there. One of the buildings that is at 18th and Harney Street is the Metropolitan Utilities District. 
And then across the street from that, on the other side of 18th and Harney, is the Omaha Housing Authority. Tried to see if there was any hauntings going on at those locations, couldn't find anything. So if anybody works in any of those buildings and you happen to listen to this podcast, we'd love to know if there's something going on here. Also, the Potter's Field. You know, I'm sure it's never been investigated. I'm wondering if anything's going on there. Because if there was going to be a haunting connected to something here, this would be it. Because I think this man was innocent. And the way that he was killed and the things that happened to his body afterward, I mean, that would leave a haunting for sure. Yeah, he was brutalized. I mean, so much emotion going into that entire area. I can't imagine that it's not haunted. Yeah, so there's got to be something going on. But there are other ghosts connected to Fort Omaha. Another Douglas County fixture was the Poor Farm. A 60-year-old man named Peter Gronwald lived there in 1890. He scraped by making a living as a servant to Lieutenant Wilson, who lived in officers' quarters at the fort. He was working there one day when he broke and had what was described as a psychotic episode. Gronwald started flinging plates at a wall, and he broke out a window. Lieutenant Wilson tried to subdue him, and Gronwald died from what was thought to be a heart attack. His spirit is said to have haunted the location for 20 years after that. We're not sure why it stopped after that or if his spirit might still remain, but has become quiet. Apparently, psychics were invited out to Fort Omaha to perform seances as a form of entertainment. Oh, boy. (laughs) People would come out to the fort to watch drills and such. And this was an added extra. So people who live there locally would take their little picnic lunches out there and... So I don't know why the fort said, hey, let's have a seance out here or something. But anyway, a local newspaper reported in 1918, and I tried to find it. I saw this on a blog. I'm going to let you guys know what blog I got a lot of the information because it's an excellent blog after we get done talking here. That was written on that was a local newspaper reported in 1918. And I'm like, which one? Where's the article? Because I like to get the first person account. Yeah, the details. I want to get it myself so that I can see it for myself. And I looked at every newspaper I could from the Omaha area in 1918 and I couldn't find anything. But supposedly a newspaper reported that the troops had figured that the psychics were charlatans that were there. And despite the fact that they were saying that these guys are charlatans, they were given a little something to think about. A particular psychic was able to conjure a ghost on command. The troops, of course, believed he was faking the whole thing. That was until the ghost continued to make appearances night after night for the rest of the week. So I don't know if this was a real ghost that did get conjured or if somebody just kept coming back for the rest of the week to spook them. I'm not sure what all happened there. And we're not sure if this is a real spirit, if it was connected to the fort or something that the psychic pulled from somewhere else, if it was legit. No description was given of the ghost, but there are reports of people seeing the apparition of a young soldier walking around who either disappears or is semi-transparent. A nicely dressed middle-aged man has been seen by students and he disappears, which is what indicates he was a ghost. A Native American warrior has been seen, and I got to wonder if it has something to do with standing there. And there are stories of a young girl being seen as well. A young soldier ghost could be connected to another incident at the fort. In 1981, there was an explosion at the World War I Balloon School on the south side of the parade grounds. A gas storage tank exploded, killing two soldiers immediately and sending another to the hospital. He later died during surgery. All three of these men are said to roam the campus in the afterlife. And speaking of the hospital, a soldier who was in the hospital in 1945 became violent one day and murdered one of the nurses while doctors and other nurses looked on. Her spirit has been seen gazing out the windows of the former hospital. The doctors and nurses looked on, like, oh, nothing to see here. Ha, la-di-da. 
That was my initial response, too. <laughs> I was like, how do you just look on? Nobody jumped on the guy and tried right. to get him under control. I mean, Again, unless- another story that I would think <laughs> would be in the newspapers. I couldn't find anything about that. So did it really happen? I don't know. That is for you to decide. <laughs> One of the original officers' houses is also haunted. When it was being renovated in the 1970s, workers would hear knocking on the walls. They assumed some other workers were playing tricks or just working on the opposite sides of the walls. When they would go to look, they would find that no one was on the other side of that wall. Tools would also mysteriously disappear and then show up later in different rooms, sometimes days later. And then I have one more ghost story that I wanted to share, Kelly, that is well known in the Omaha area. This isn't at the former Fort Omaha, but about six minutes to the east at Carter Lake. The lake was a popular getaway for city people, and the Rod and Gun Club was set up to facilitate their use of the lake. The Omaha Rod and Gun Club was founded in 1905 by Dr. Despetcher, and there were 175 charter members. There were bungalows built along with a clubhouse. H.C. Oakley and his wife Mabel owned a cabin there. One day, Mabel's sleeve caught fire from the stove, and she ran out of the house into the arms of her husband and died. The cabin burned to the ground. A restaurant was eventually built on the site of the former cabin. The chef slept at the restaurant and he started having experiences with a ghost. He was sleeping one night when he was awakened by the sound of a match striking. He saw a woman surrounded by fire and carrying a lighted match in her hand. She appeared night after night, always glowing with an unearthly blaze of light. His dog occasionally ran in and would bark and then run back out. Thanks, Rover, for your help. Right? Finally, one night, the burning woman held the match out to him and he pushed it away. He was stunned when he was not burned and he felt no pain. He insisted on having his room moved and she didn't bother him anymore. The Rod and Gun Club closed down in the 1940s. Omaha was a wild town in the West and a perfect spot for a military base. Fort Omaha served a good purpose and serves an even higher calling now as a place of education. Is the former Fort Omaha and now the current Metropolitan Community College haunted? That That is for you to decide. I wanted to share where I got a lot of the information here, particularly on the hauntings, was from the NorthOmahaHistory.com blog, which is hosted by Adam F.C. Fletcher. And it's got all kinds of great history on there. If you're into North Omaha and want to know more about it, he's got it. And I believe he has a podcast that he hosts that goes with it as well. We'd love for you to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. Kelly, occasionally we get people who leave comments on our YouTube that are actually nice comments. (laughs) We get a lot of bad ones, too. (laughs) The nice thing about YouTube is you can make those disappear. Anyway, MVQC had watched our episode 127, which featured the Ben Lomond Hotel. And this uh, user wrote, so I delivered to this building. I live in Ogden. A friend of mine had a wedding there when it was still recently the Bigelow. I went in my Marine Corps blue dress uniform. I spent some hours there into the evening and I felt some things there. I know that scent of perfume. I've smelled it that night. I was there plus multiple times I've delivered there. The scent is a very nice floral scent, not an overpowering, nauseating scent. It's a very lovely one. I always appreciate it when I smell it. Well, apparently the ghost appreciates you, too, if they're always hanging around you. (laughs) Most definitely. I was there today, actually, but didn't smell anything at the elevators on the first floor. As I waited for the elevator, I stood there and tried to sense if any spirits were nearby or there. A lot has happened since 2020 with this hotel. The creepy Ben Lohman motel that was on the backside or on the east side of the hotel has been destroyed. I have a very interesting group of experiences there since I delivered food there a few times before it was taken down in 2020. Recently, the tunnels in the street on the north side have been dug up. 
The motel that was there is now an art garden. It tells the story of the motel in a very creative way. The darkness of the artistic sculptures of rubber are perfect as well. Sculptures out of rubber, that's weird. The picture frame, though, really got me because I've seen that picture on the wall. I was very disturbed that night. The haunting spirits may or may not still be there. I didn't feel any energies today, but I'll keep my senses open the next time I deliver there. Maybe I'll go check out the 11th floor. And let us know if you experience exactly. anything. <laughs> and then Jen, who is a member of our Spooktacular crew, shared a really cool story that she had. And I bet a lot of our listeners have experienced something like this. Kelly, have you ever, you know, really felt down or just needed a song that was just the perfect song and it all of a sudden comes on the radio at just the right moment? Oh, of course. Well, this kind of reflects on that. She wrote, so what I'm about to share isn't exactly scary as it is comforting to me. Some may think what I'm about to share is crazy and that's okay. Some may even think I made it up and that's okay too. I wanted to share the following here because I believe that there are individuals here who certainly believe in God, angels, the universe, and or things beyond us, the supernatural. And definitely in the Spectacular crew, most of us do believe in that stuff. Anyhow, I felt like God was speaking to me through songs of encouragement this morning. 2021 and 2022 so far have been hell on me, as I'm sure some can relate. From the impact of the pandemic, to job loss, to being diagnosed with a few severe medical conditions within months of each other, to just recently having to quit a job again for health reasons, I felt very down on myself, lost alone, and every bad emotion one can think of and of oneself too. Coupled with having a frustrating job search, well, I'm sure some of you understand the pure struggle and hell it can feel like. Which leads me to this morning. Before my shower this morning, I just played my Amazon music on my soundtrack. These were the songs that played in order. Number one was Let It Be by The Beatles. Number two was Reason to Live by Kiss. Number three was The Remedy by Jason Mraz. And number four was Just the Way You Are by Bruno Mars. The most interesting part is that I never hear any of these songs, so why they showed up in the order they did on my soundtrack is beyond me, and I know how these things work. I found this occurrence both very strange and wonderful at the same time. Kind of like a wink and a nod that everything will work out, and even with all the issues I medically have, that I'm fine just the way I am. It felt super encouraging, and I'd never experienced this before, but I'll never forget. It all just felt so supernatural to me. Anyway, that's it. Thanks for letting me share. As I commented back to her, I've had that experience in my life where I've had just the right song come on the radio at just the right time, and I always am like, thank you, God, because it's like, I just feel like he's sending it. Yep. Music is something that really speaks to our souls. That's why I've really started integrating music with podcasts and stuff because, you know, try to evoke those emotions, especially when we're doing the ones where there are people's flash fiction. You know, when you're watching a horror movie, it can be the music that creeps you out more than anything else that's happening there. So music really does, I think, speak to us on a whole different level. Yeah, and I definitely believe that there's a spiritual connection behind that when something like that happens. Little nod or whisper from God. And I know something that can be just as good as having encouraging songs sent to you. How about everybody that's listening right now just send your positive energy in Jen's direction? Yeah, absolutely. No things are going to get better. Also, another really cool story. You know, we love these dead family member stories. This is not for anybody who's in our crew. <laughs> sounded very odd. Well, we love dead family members. We love dead family members. But you know, when they have experiences with right. family members that have passed yes. on. I knew what you meant. Anyway, I was down a YouTube hole for some reason. And I looked over on the side, and you know, it suggests videos to you. And I see that it has this thing about Valerie Bertinelli and that she had this feeling that Eddie was around or something. 
So I'm like, huh, I wonder what that's about. So I clicked on it. And what apparently happened here is Valerie Bertinelli was on Kelly Clarkson's talk show. And I think it was back in January because they were talking about, you know, Happy New Year to each other and stuff. So this would be New Year's of 2022. Valerie Bertinelli was on there to talk about her new book that she put out there. I can't remember what the name of it is now, but it's basically just you're okay the way you are. I think it was like, you know, something like just stop. She was just like, just stop judging yourself. And, you know, because she said weight issues and all this other stuff. Anyway, in the process of talking about this, they were talking about how Eddie Van Halen had passed away. She said that she goes, I've had some woo-woo experiences in relation to him. Kelly Clarkson was like, oh, that's really cool. I've had experiences too. Valerie Bertinelli said, I've shared a few of them, a couple of them in the book, but there's one that I haven't shared because it just happened recently. She was there when Eddie Van Halen passed away and somehow they'd made this pact with each other that when he was going to let her know that he was there, that he would make an appearance like a bird or something. And she couldn't remember if it was as two birds or three birds. So she kept going back and forth that she couldn't remember. And she was brushing her teeth and she looks out her picture window that's there and she sees these two birds that are there. And she was like, oh, did was our agreement two birds or three birds? I can't remember. And she just was struggling to remember. And she goes, oh, heck, Eddie, if that's you, and actually, I think she said Ed, she calls him Ed. She said, Ed, if that's you, just send a whole flock of birds. Literally, the minute it was past her lips, she said a huge flock of birds, like when you see those black birds that move all in one right. thing, come swooping down right in front of her vision, and then was gone. She was like, (laughs) yep, Ed is here. She goes, I totally had goosebumps and everything. So she goes, that was really cool. And then Kelly Clarkson shared with her that she has a baby and she'd gone into the room and she said, one night I was in there, she was standing up in her crib, looking over at the wall, a corner of the room, and was just smiling and like looking over there like there was somebody there. And she goes, I couldn't see anything. I didn't know what was going on. But she was like, you know, I believe in this stuff. So she goes, I probably sounded like a crazy person. But I just said out loud, I don't know if there's anybody here with us right now. But if you are, it's okay. Just be nice to my little girl. Yeah, I don't see anything wrong with that. (laughs) Yeah, so I thought those were really cool stories. We want to thank you guys for joining us on this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode isn't brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Jan O'Donnell. We're going to be burying you under a marble headstone. Thank you so much for supporting History Goes Bump. Have a spooky experience that occurred at an historic location? Want to give us feedback or have a suggestion for the show? Share it with us at historygoesbump at gmail.com. He was told the story and it inspired the cask of a Montatee. Were you trying to say a cask of tea? I didn't know that they had casks of tea. Is that <laughs> a hard cask tea? Cask of something. <laughs>
So usually settlers supplied troops with goods and food to supplement army rations. Nice. Army rations. (laughs) Army rations? (laughs) I just made up my own word now. I'm sweating. You say I'm glowing. It all works. As long as you're not pregnant. (laughs) Not that kind of glowing. (laughs) If I'm pregnant, it's even more incredible than the Immaculate Conception because I don't have those parts no more. (laughs) The two-story house was built in the Italian architect. Really? (laughs) Tell me more. Later, the hospital served as a recruiting center Boeing Boeing Dearth Wars. Boeing (laughs) Dearth Wars. World Wars. <laughs> hey, I think they'll understand During what you're saying. both <laughs> But then he contacted newspaper man Thomas Tibbles, who was the assistant editor of the Omaha Daily Herald. Her- 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 <laughs> was he heralding at the Herald? <laughs> there, are, there are some things that will never make it into the bloopers because <laughs> you just can't. We got a dirty mind. But now. anyway... <laughs> That sentence with the best dirigible being uh, a sausage with fins got a little bit different over on our end. With the kaquat. <laughs> and we'll leave it to the rest of you to figure out what we said. We are 13-year-old boys. The Omaha, Nebraska Technical College. In 2021, they opened the automated food. Hey, bugs. Actually... I should have said, hey, Porky. Yeah, I was going to say, you need to get your character straight. <laughs> Finally, one night, the burning woman held the mouch out. Mouch? 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 She had a mouch. Mul- mulch it with the mouch? I guess. And a match. Don't put a match near mulch. It could get bad. <laughs>